the spheroidal earthers. Uh, we're back today on a Monday, and we have uh, today. Today we're going to be talking uh, two of my favorite topics at once: uh, education and Bitcoin. And um, bringing in uh, my new friend uh, Aladdin Flynn, whom uh, I met the other day during a business meeting, and uh, we we won't talk about the business for now. Uh, we'll talk about his business for now, but. Um, uh, but what I really loved was hearing about his perspective on education. And so, as you know, I like to, to bring in as often as possible a discussion on education. I haven't done it as much as, I, as I'd like to, but um, here we go. Aladdin, how are you, sir? Uh, doing great. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Absolutely. So um, I, I'm going to start off first by telling everybody, you know, or by showing everybody, I'll, I'll let you tell everybody what it is you're doing. And and then we can then we can move into the uh, the education stuff. But um, I did bring up I I saw that uh, you're you're on the Bitcoin wiki <laughs> now at this point. Um, so you know tell tell the audience what this is. What are we talking about here? All right. Yeah, I, I created uh, Bitcoin trading cards. It's been a passion of mine. I've been working on for four years, and we launched um, last November. So uh, a long long process to get where we're at now but uh there's so much that goes into this and i wanted to make sure that when we finally released it was as as clean and set as possible to do so so i get that the main concept of this is uh, a proper orange pill in a pack and making bitcoin as fun and simple as possible um, i got into bitcoin 2016 and found the hardest part was getting my friends, excuse me, getting my friends and family interested in Bitcoin. And a lot of that, I, I use this reference a lot. There's a lot of uh, red pill that goes into the orange pill that I don't think we consider that much. And getting people to digest that red pill is, is very difficult. So it's not so much catching them with the number go up. There's so many things that go into it on why we need Bitcoin. And for a few years, it was all I could do was talk about Bitcoin with everybody. And that discussion was uh, difficult many times because of the topics I had to bring up in order to, to get them to understand why Bitcoin is so important beyond the number go up. Because to uh, Bitcoiners, once you get in and you get hooked, it's not number go up. It, it's We can change the world with this. So in doing all my discussions and talking to all my family, I got rejected many, many times. And... A lot of it also is we're incredibly passionate as Bitcoiners, and sometimes that passion uh, goes a little overboard for people and it scares them away. So I wanted to come up with a way that was really simple, really fun, and if, if anything, a subliminal orange pill. One where they're learning about Bitcoin, they're, they're taking on those, those little elements, and they don't even know they're doing it. And it also allows me to shut up and just hand them a pack of cards and let them go at it. And I think that's really been the biggest success with this is not having to have a long discussion with them and explain all of these complicated uh, subjects, but actually just hand them a pack and then let them come to you and ask you questions. And so far, it's been a, a major win with almost everyone that I hand a pack to. They're immediately coming back with really brilliant questions so it's it's been wonderful so far yeah and to create a collectible i think uh, a lot of people sort of immediately recognize uh something different you know when they hold a, a card in their hand right um i, I actually i went uh 
37 years without buying a, a pack of sports cards. And, and I actually, I, I just did that uh, this January. And, you know, it's mostly just having a little bit of fun with hockey cards. But there's something about, um, you know, like learning who the players are. And, yeah, I'm sure anybody who's, who's bought some sports cards before knows this. You know, you, you open up a pack, you look through the cards. There might be one or two that you're excited about, right? Um, but but you, you know who people are. You, you know um, when you watch the game, you know what you're thinking about in a, in a little bit of a different way. And there is a game going on with information. Uh, right. Like there, there's and, and I think none of us even know how to describe this game. None of us are even sure how much the authorities care about Bitcoin or want or don't want Bitcoin. Like there, there's so much interesting things to think about in terms of um, of which players might want a different outcome, economically speaking, as we like we're, we're going through a wormhole, you know, and, and that's I think that's clear to more and more people. So this is probably a good time. So you said um, November of 2022 that, that uh, you guys launched it with Pacific Bitcoin Conference? Yeah. So when did you start the process? When did you go, okay, I'm going to make these cards. And then how long did it take before that launch? So I, I came up with the idea around 2017, but then pulled out the whiteboards in 2018. And it was it was all me at that point didn't have anyone helping, uh, really didn't know many Bitcoiners. I had my one buddy that we got into Bitcoin around the same time. And I would go visit him and bring him stacks of uh, scribbles on paper with the idea. And I've just shut down by so many people in so many ways with this project <laughs> over the years. So I took it as um, maybe I just need to continue to polish this as much as possible before even showing anyone my ideas. So 2018 was whiteboards all year. Uh, 2019 was taking those whiteboards and actually putting it on the screen. I, I, computer time is something I don't like. So I, I'm as old school as it gets. Um, so pen and paper and my whiteboards is where I feel most at home. But then I finally had to throw it on the screen and start really mapping it out. And then around the end of 2019, I decided that in order for this to really be as amazing as it can be, I need more uh, general public feedback. I need to know what the no coiners are saying and not just my friends and family, but anybody and everybody that I can talk to. So I became a, a major ambassador for Bitcoin in the way that I never shut up about Bitcoin. It doesn't matter where I go. Um, almost everywhere I go, people know me as that Bitcoin guy. I'm almost always wearing the hat, the shirt, something to spark the conversation. And there's never a point, almost never, like for real, that I check out at any store in any situation and don't talk about Bitcoin. My, I've got two teenagers and they're so tired of me and my wife the same because everywhere we go, we're checking out and they're like, okay, get ready for the Bitcoin speech because I always got to let them know right there at the counter when I'm checking out that their money is now almost worthless and bring up the inflation and always talk smack about the fact that I just spent $300 on one little grocery cart. So I, I've got my little uh, ends that I use on just about anywhere I go. And with that, I was able to start soaking in as much feedback as possible. But then my wife jumped my, well, if I can cuss on here, so I'll keep my cussing, <laughs> um, jumped my butt 
And she said, if you're going to be talking to everyone about Bitcoin all the time, then you need to figure out a way to monetize this. And I know you're working on the cards, but like monetize it sooner than later, because I'm a bit of a perfectionist and she knew it wasn't coming for a while. So I started the Bitcoin Life Raft. And this was a Bitcoin consulting company that I started um, just so that I could charge people for their time on teaching about Bitcoin and no financial advice whatsoever. It's strictly just Bitcoin education. And I tested myself as hard as possible. And I said, OK, well, I'm going to go to the banks and I'm going to stand in line. And this is where I'm going to pick up my clients because what better place to pick up clients than the banks? So that's what I started doing. I found excuses to go to the bank and deposit a couple bucks or whatever I could do to just go stand in line. I usually would go on the first of the week or not first, the first of the month, because I knew the line would be really long and I would have time to stand in the line and talk as loudly as possible about Bitcoin. And some of these I wish I recorded because I would literally get into the World Economic Forum. I would get into the CBDCs. Um, if people were shutting me down, I would s start talking about how they would own nothing and be happy. <laughs> it was working really well. I would almost always come out with a new client and I would have a handful of business cards in my pocket to make sure that as many people as I could, I could get those cards out to. But, you know, it, your, sorry. It, it's funny that you just said that. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm jumping in here and interrupting because I've actually I've actually thought to myself, what if Klaus Schwab is a secret Bitcoiner? What if what if he is being put up to all this in order to sell the next thing for somebody? Right. And and you might not even know who that somebody is. It may or may like that. I, I personally think he's probably in the in the pen of people who want, you know, central bank digital currencies, which I do not. Uh, I, I've, and I've been trying to help people um, understand that uh, that's very, very different than Bitcoin. Right. Like a, a lot of people don't even know that already most dollars are digital. They just they don't know. They, don't, yeah. they, they and they don't know what it means yet for like, what is the transition between that and central bank digital currency? And what is the difference between that and Bitcoin? Um, but it's it's uh, you know, a matter of decentralization. But um, you know what? And, and we could talk those details, but I, I'm going to do something different because everybody else, everybody else can find this discussion on another podcast starring you or, or starring one of the other Bitcoin educators. But what really, uh, what I really loved about uh, uh, meeting Aladdin was that he is an educator, that that is a focus of his and that he is, he's not just doing like, you know, trading cards. I mean, those are fun. And, uh, and I have some coming myself. In fact, I, I bought his last retail box of the, uh, of the series one and, uh, and a box of the series two. <clears throat> so I will have some some Bitcoin cards myself. But what I, what I thought was really cool was um, that his his real focus is on education. And he's talking about that. You're talking about that a little bit. Um, maybe before we move on from that, actually, I, I, I do have a question specifically related to the cards, which is just how many different artists did you get involved in in doing this? So that was a, a big part of what took so long to get this project up and going because I was doing all the art myself in the beginning. And then I had to realize um, everything's a learning curve with this thing because never done anything like this before. Um, I, there's no way that I was going to be able to pull off all the cards needed and especially going into series two and series three and so on. Um, I couldn't produce everything in time. 
So I started taking my sketches and just accepting the fact that I have to be more of an architect than the carpenter. So that's what I just merged myself into was focusing primarily on the conceptual artwork, getting the sketches out, getting the main ideas of what I'm trying to pull off. And then over the couple of years, I was reaching out to artists all over the world and finding people in areas that were really hit by inflation and, and, and a lot of government strife, which is everywhere, but some places are a lot harder than others, because I figured that if I find the right artists in those areas, they're going to be able to pull off my, my concepts the best because they're living it. So I used in the first series around 25 different artists. And one of the great things about that is being an artist myself, I understand that everyone has a different idea of what art is to them and what really good art is to them. And I didn't want it to be the same style across the board. I wanted this to be done in a way where there is a style for everybody. And you may not like a lot of the cards because it's just not your style of art that you're into, but with all the different artists we have in there, most likely we're going to capture you in one of these cards and you're really going to be into the artwork. And that's really the main thing we needed was to just grab your interest with at least one card. Series two, moving forward, the cool thing is I was able to actually start uh, getting to work with a lot of Bitcoin or Bitcoin artists and some of the top Bitcoin artists out there, which is a lot of fun. So I was able to add four new Bitcoin artists into series two, and hopefully that can grow some more as we move on. And but yeah, having multiple artists is really important for this project. So it was clearly important for you for the cards to tell a story and to be conversation starters and for people to learn from those conversations. Um, but you're, you're going a step further. You, you told me about uh, other projects, multiple projects that are going to be upcoming that are in the pipeline now. Mm -hmm. uh, so go ahead and tell us. Um, I, I remember, I, I can't remember the names of all of them, uh, Heritage. And uh, but, well, I'll, I'll let you tell us. <laughs> so one of the big things we got on the feedback is there's a lot of, so the, the main series right now is highly collectible. Um, it's one of the scarcest trading card series ever printed. Um, series two, proper orange pill in a box is the Fudbusters, 21,000 packs. And with the orange pill in a pack series, we will never do more than 21,000 packs in any new uh, edition that we do with that because we change the theme up for every new edition so that there's an educational theme for each new series that comes out. What's the but, highest price that a card has? I, I see them on eBay. What is the high, excuse me, what is the highest price that one is sold for? To my knowledge, the only one that, because I know there's one of ones out there that I created and those have been uh, sold peer-to-peer uh, -peer, and I think the price has been at a, a high enough point that the people don't even really want to mention how much it's sold for. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I can say um, we worked with Scarce City a, a week and a half ago and a one of one, wasn't number one of 100. I think it was like number 57 of, a, of 100. And Max Kaiser did come in and offer to go to lunch with the person that bought the card, which really helped hype the uh, price up. Um, and just so everyone knows, I don't have anything to do with the secondary market. And when it comes to pricing, that's not in my interest. I sell the cards for what they are. I, the education is where my heart lies. Whatever happens with the cards after that, that's out of my hands. And I don't, 
pump it, promote it, or anything when it comes to pushing the price up. I don't want to be um, a part of that at all. Uh, but the, the card sold for around $5,800. Yeah, I know that, um, that uh, our mutual friend, Andrew, uh, had offers in the 4,000 something dollars for two, uh, or one each, I think of the, um, the, of 21 cards where there are 21 of them printed. So the one of ones, I'm sure, you know, go for more than that. And I, and I know that a week after I bought the last retail box, uh, there was an auction where a box sold for something like 3,300 and the original cost of a, of a full box was 500. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, clearly, uh, people have already gotten excited about this. Um, so, so you have, you told me about these, um, larger cards, like, mm -hmm. uh, maybe like tarot size. Um, yeah, so a lot of the feedback was what if we don't want to collect the cards? What if we're not like into that, the whole collectability, but we love the way these cards educate. So we came up with something called a pop box. That is a proper orange pill in a box. And that's where you're going to get the, the tarot size cards. They're going to be larger. Uh, the text will be easier to read. The artwork will be a little bit bigger. And at the same time, all of these differences in them will help to have nothing to do with the scarcity of the other cards, which is really important in the collectability. But these will be at an incredibly reasonable price. And we plan to do a, a lot of donations with these boxes. And you'll be able to get a whole box with 52 cards in there and get a huge dose of the education that comes in a series in one box. And then that's really good to be able to give away to friends and family. A lot of people were buying the collectible packs and with the, the price going where it was going outside of the original price we had it up for, a lot of people didn't want to give away their packs as a gift to somebody to teach them about Bitcoin. So, and, and with that being the main uh, reason for me starting this project is the education, uh, we started working on coming up with a way, because I was not expecting the the secondary market to be anything like this whatsoever. So now we're in the works of hopefully having this proper orange pill in a box come out over the next couple months and people can pick those up at, at an incredibly reasonable price. And again, we'll be doing as many giveaways and donations with those as possible because if we can saturate as many places with these uh, educational boxes, I think it's going to be a major benefit for a lot of people. Yeah, see, this is what I look forward to is, is, uh, you know, having box like, you know, packages of these and just being able to hand them out, you know, like not have to think like it, it's, it's very difficult when you, when you find out, oh, you know, some of the cards in these packs may be one of ones and people are already trading these things for thousands of dollars because there's only a limited number of them and, and people love their Bitcoin stuff, period. Um, but to, to be able to have something that you can just hand out to people, um, that's something that I look forward to. Um, you know, I, I would, you know, I, I actually have just, I have uh, some business cards that just say a few words about Bitcoin on them. And I actually keep a box of them in my car just because I do like to give them away and I don't think about it often enough. Um, but I, but I'd like to have, you know, uh, some of these just to, just to hand out to people. Um, is, is there any kind of a game that can be played with those or is that just, uh, or are those just purely like educational props and there's another game coming in the future that you told us about? Yeah. So those are purely educational props. Those are just something to give away to anybody and everybody can think of because hopefully that price point is so low that it's 
like buying a soda and, and you can just give it away to anybody and everybody that and have a stack of those kind of like your business cards. Um, one of the big things that I've noticed, especially when it comes to just the collectible industry period and the trading card industry, um, they call it ripping wax. So that's when you're ripping a pack open. And that experience of ripping the pack open is 90% of the trading card experience because you don't know what you're going to get in there. So that's where the heritage pack comes in. And we are going to change the name. We're just right now, um, it's such a new concept we're working on. We haven't locked in the name of, of what this is going to be yet, but this will be a mass production of the trading cards. And it's going to be primarily common cards. There will only be what they call a chase card, which is a foil card, a special rare card. You're only going to find one of those in every uh, around 24 packs. So again, it will not hurt the scarcity of the, the main series orange pill in a pack at all. It'll keep that highly collectible. But at the same time, you can hand someone a box of the trading cards for that big lump of education. And there's going to be a lot of people that are really interested in that. But if you got younger kids, you got a lot of people that are just not into Bitcoin at all and handing them a box is maybe not going to interest them. There's 52 cards in there. Are they going to spend the time to sit there and go through 52 cards if they're not interested in Bitcoin at all? Probably not. So what I've been able to get back in the feedback is if we can get the same packs out, but mainly common cards and have a chase card here and there, then people still have that experience of ripping the pack. And especially for kids, that's gonna get them interested in looking at every card because which one of these cards is gonna be that rare card that um, might be some special Bitcoiner or just a really special card that might have value to it down the road more than the cardboard it's printed on. So that's a main focus of what we're trying to do so that eventually we can get to Target, we can get to Walmart, we can get to these brick and mortar stores and general public stores that it is nearly impossible to find anything about Bitcoin in and get people seeing Bitcoin on the shelf. And the more that Bitcoin is normalized to the general public, the more of a chance they're going to give it because that's the, the biggest thing we're battling over is the, the mainstream media shutting Bitcoin down as much as possible. Bitcoin is a benefit to the human race. And I, I'm one of those type of people that will admit, I don't think the general public has, uh, not general public, I don't think the mainstream media is mainly focused on the benefit of the human race. That's just my own personal opinion. So <laughs> whatever we can do to battle against that and get Bitcoin out to the masses and teach them these basic concepts, um, is going to be a win for every new Bitcoiner is just that much more hope for my children's future and the rest of the children on earth. Yeah. Yeah. I think I told you a little bit about my, um, my background, uh, as an educator. Um, you know, I started my, uh, adult career working, uh, you know, doing statistics work and then working on wall street, um, in, in finance trading and, and whatnot. Um, but then I, I, you know, when it's, my, my plan had always been to be an educator after that. And I spent uh, um, probably spent about 15 years total in my adult life um, building educational programs, building brick and mortar schools, uh, different different things. Um, one of the things that struck me, um, especially after having worked on, uh, in financing, going in going to education was how bad finance education is. And I really felt like the, 
I, you know, in the same way you said, you don't think the media has our best interest at heart. I think that there are a lot of factions in education that don't have our best interest at heart. And, and when you look at what gets done, it feels like finance is one of the most important and fully sacrificed disciplines that you would think every child should grow up, you know, making constant graduated steps. Um, and, but, but there's almost nothing. And, and the questions that people have walking into a bank are at such simple levels that you would think, well, you could know this at the age of 12, right? Or, you know, this could be something that is part of your natural process of thinking already, but, but that it's not. Um, so I, I think that this is, this is a, a, an even more important educational step than, than, you know, even like, you know, the average Bitcoiner might imagine. I always think a lot of progress is made when you start putting things in the hands of kids directly. Mm -hmm. You know, we can be on podcasts all day long being listened to by adults. We can, um, you know, write articles or, or get into newspapers and reach adults. But the fact of the matter is, it's what kids grow up doing naturally and ordinarily that becomes um, more firm part of uh, culture civilization at the next level. So mm -hmm. I think that, uh, yeah, your idea of, of like a Pokemon style game um, I think is perfect. I'd actually, and, and, you know, like I mentioned, I, I'd actually, I, I certainly hadn't taken the steps to sit down and, and, you know, and, and think, you know, can this be done? Like, like you did. Um, but I actually, I, I thought of something like a Pokemon style um, Bitcoin game, just because um, it, it, it does totally, it, it fits to me, you know, it, it makes total sense. And I think that that, that, that a game like yours, we, we could look back at that, like in 20 years, I, I think that it will be a, a tremendous benefit. Um, so I, you know, I, I would like to, you know, aside from the trading cards themselves and that's fun and neat and, and, you know, I'll be a collector, but, uh, I think that the, the game itself will be, um, momentous. So, uh, I would encourage people, you know, if you have kids out there, you know, if, you're, if they are interested in games, always parents constantly ask me about my educational opinion about games. And it's, it's really tough because you don't want kids not to have games to play. And yet, you know, if if it's all just an extension of the mistakes that we're making, sort of, you know, infused into pop culture, infused into movies, infused into games, then uh, you're not making the progress that's possible. So I really like um, the sound of that, hear that. So have, have you started making the first game set? Yeah, so we are working on that. Um, we call it Satoshi's Heroes. And we are going, <clears throat> we're doing this, in the same manner that really works for the general public um, in order to really break through the many, many years of indoctrination and everything that we have to break through in order to uh, get Bitcoin into their heart and mind, we, we have to hit them at their own level. And that's where we're creating this in a very similar style to Pokemon. We're starting with a comic book series called Satoshi's Heroes. Um, been working on this for about a year now it's going to be a really fun uh, dive for kids basically just the, the main concept of it is some kids that find a rabbit hole underneath their grandparents bed where they used to store their money and they travel through that rabbit hole into different times in history and learn different facts about monetary history but at the same time it, it's going to have a lot of really fun aspects to it. Um, I'm sure, Matthew, you know that the, the best teachers, 
that you'll ever have isn't necessarily on the funnest subjects. It's the teacher that can make any subject fun. And those are the teachers that we learn the best from. You can literally take the most boring subjects and throw the funnest teacher in there. And the kids are going to love that subject and they're going to love that class. And then you have the funnest class with a teacher that doesn't know how to make things fun. And you just took an incredibly fun subject and, and ruined it for the kids. So that's where this has to be a really good matchup of both in order to make it work. And then from that story of Satoshi's heroes will come the, the game and the characters in that story will be in this game and it will be very similar to Pokemon style with the hit points and, and the magic uh, points and everything else that you'll have to use in order to, to play this game. A lot goes into creating a good game. Uh, we are working with a, a lot of people that have been collecting and playing these games for years. I've got a really good Magic the Gathering group that I work with, some friends that have been playing Magic the Gathering since it came out, and they're helping me to master this game. So again, when it comes out like the trading cards, it's as prepped and ready for the general public as possible. And we, we really hope to reach as many people with this as we can. And the greatest part about it, Matthew, is we were able to capture the same printers that print Pokemon cards and Magic the Gathering. And I'm not sure if um, any of the listeners know, four years of this project trying to find a printer was by far the hardest part of this entire thing. And you don't just call these companies up and get them to print for you. Uh, in 65 years, this company has never printed a small project. I do think that we've got some uh, Bitcoiners um, on the board of this company. I'm just imagining because they are very excited for this project and they're with us 100% to build this thing out and grow it as big as we possibly can. And that's our biggest win right now, Matthew, is having the, the best printer in the world backing us in this project. I, I could not be more pumped for what we have coming for that reason alone, because without the right printer, it's the biggest struggle in the world. And with these guys behind us, oh boy. That's good to hear. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, I know that uh, you'd mentioned to me your, your quest for a printer when we talked uh, previously, um, but I didn't know that they were the same people. You mentioned, uh, you know, well, I, I know that your, your first series one printing costs were pretty high. So they have like, um, you know, multiple types of like, cut like uh you can make the game cards for a whole lot less right um so it comes down to volume and it comes down to your foils foil is not cheap um especially so it costs almost as much to make 21 of one card as it does to make 2100 of one card so that, that's a really big one there. So then again, that's where when you start to get to mass production, the price comes down um, dramatically because it costs about the same to print a small run as it does to print a really large run. And with us, I, I'm self-funded. I, I don't have investors. We don't have a big team pushing behind this. I've just started establishing a team over the last few months of some amazing Bitcoiners. But um, this is definitely a tiered out project and it's grassroots all the way. But with them behind us, um, as we grow, I think we're going to be able to um, knock this down to where we can get better price points out. And when it comes to the Pokemon series, I'd say Pokemon series, I probably shouldn't even use that word. I don't want to get myself in trouble. But <laughs> when it comes to the fun gaming series, 
uh, we'll be able to get the price point down at, at a really reasonable price and compete with a lot of the other trading cards and um, gaming cards out there, which will be really fun. Well, very cool. So how many cards are going to be in the first game set? Uh, we're looking at around 120. Most okay. likely 121, just to make that number. Uh, the, the so uh, I, I've never played a game of Pokemon myself, but a few years ago I did learn how to play Magic. Somehow that game escaped me in childhood. Uh, it turned out that I had friends who played for years, but I just I didn't even know. Actually, it's probably the case that, um, that I heard about it and Oh, we just blipped in and out. Um, <clears throat> but I, I learned how to play. Uh, and for those who are uninitiated, you have some cards like lands or mana um, that, that are involved in the game. Does that 120 include that? Or is it like, or, you know, is it like creatures and spells? Uh, how does it break down? Um, it, it's going to include all the cards. So, at, as we grow this project, then we can add new characters, we can add new spells, we can add so many new elements to it, but we wanna start out with the main set to be able to just get people interested. And then from there, it's really about collecting those, those extra pieces and extra characters to it. So you really don't wanna come out with everything all at once. You wanna be able to start simple and build up. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um... Well, we're, we're okay. So I, when I think about a game like this, I think um, one of the things I, I thought when I learned magic was, wow, this is an economic game. Like already to me, it felt like, okay, this is an economic game. I haven't played uh, Pokemon or uh, what is, what is the uh, other one? Oh, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh mm -hmm. uh, that is very popular. I've, se I've seen the cards, I've seen people playing it, but I haven't stopped to see what the mechanics are, you know, how, how that goes. But I assume that, the, that these games have their own sort of economics involved, like uh, their energies, manas, lands, and, and you have like certain amount to spend um, in order to make moves. Right. So um, it seems like an economic game already, like already I could, you know, I could see this being better than, uh, than a lot of finance education that happens in school. Um, <clears throat> hmm. What what do parents tell you when when you talk about this with them? So I homeschool my kids, and the, the parents that I really uh, primarily hang around are also homeschool parents, and they're very interested in this. And I mean, I don't. None of them are orange pilled. None of them are into Bitcoin, and this has been a great um, door opener to discuss that with them because we do a lot of homeschool programs with these parents and, and we're very involved in a lot of homeschool communities and groups. I don't want to over push my uh, interest in Bitcoin and getting them involved because a lot of people have their reservations about someone that is approaching them about Bitcoin, which really brings, because of the number go up, because I mean, a lot of people, honestly, I'm not sure if you got this one, Matthew, or if the listeners have gotten this, but it's incredibly common and that is you just want me into bitcoin because it's going to help bring up the price of bitcoin for you 
that just shows right there yeah the level yeah. of broken uh economics in their head to think that their buy-in is going to actually pump the bitcoin bags <laughs> yeah it's funny a, a friend of mine and i were invited to give presentations on bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies um i i'm i'm more of a bitcoiner myself uh, i'm not quite a bitcoin maximalist but i'm in that um that vicinity uh and, and he is more of a um he thinks that the altcoins will succeed first or at least the the proportion of them that are reasonable um and i won't get into details about that but we were invited to speak and and we get done we each gave a presentation the very first person who wanted to like speak basically said every time i hear somebody talk about bitcoin i think uh you know sleazy scammers or something like that it was just it was just like you know like wow you know really like we were, we were just invited to give a an educational presentation and and you're going to begin that way but it's um there's something you know it, it's money and so people's emotions are so very high and there are so many stories about scammers it really is an environment that because it's new and it involves money it will absolutely invite the worst people involved and one of the things that I like, like about, you know, meeting somebody like you, who's doing something that's just fun with it. It's like, okay, you know, like, uh, okay, you can sell these and make a living at it. But, you know, it, it, I guess people could say that you're just trying to pump the price. <sighs> hmm. hmm. It, it just feels so innocent to me. You know, it may, maybe that's the thing to focus on. Like the, the moment you're talking about game pieces, doesn't even matter if it succeeds if Bitcoin succeeds or if there is something that winds up being an improvement on the whole process, maybe um, people debate that out. Uh, I, I kind of think that that a lot of improvements Bitcoin can just swallow and own, which is the value of being the network, the first network. There's um, if something else succeeds, it's going to look very different. But mm -hmm. um, hmm, kind of exploring this, like, you know, what uh, what gets people past cognitive dissonance it might be it might be when kids start picking up these cards on their own as in you know they play the game with other kids um i you know i, I don't know how many parents are going to blame you for that though <laughs> are you prepared for that i'm 100 bring it <laughs> <laughs> um the more questions people ask the, the the happier i am i've had a lot of people and they'll rip through the cards and um, I've got a lot of cards in there that really make you uh, use your critical thinking skills. And even my, my father-in-law, he's like, well, how do I know this is real? How do I know this is true? The facts that you're putting on these cards. I said, do your own research. Like, all these cards are supposed to do is spark your interest. Yeah. And it's I want you to question these cards. As long as you're willing to get up and do your own research, open up a computer, open up a book, whatever you got to do to go and study that topic. That's what I want. I don't want people to read these cards and go, okay, here's all the information I need. I'm done. I'm good. No, take it the next step. Do your own research and learn for yourself. Because once you start opening that rabbit hole, almost anybody that has a soul is going to have to eventually recognize how broken the system is, and they're going to have to wake up to it. And ignorance is bliss. And if people want to sit there, more power to them. I'm not the type of person to tell somebody how they have to live one little bit. I just want people to hopefully, the ones that can 
wake up to wake up. In, in my office complex, it's covered in financial advisors. These guys get paid for a living to give financial advice to people that come in and have no other ability on their own to learn these topics. So they go find somebody and they give them access to their 401k, to their life savings and say, will you direct me on how to manage my future? And when I speak with these very nice people, but I give them the cards and they're like, well, what's my incentive? What is in this? The main one that, that captures me every time he's holding the Bretton Woods card. And this is a, a financial advisor that's been a financial advisor for over 35 years. And he goes, so what is, what do I get out of this? I said, well, do you know what Bretton Woods is? He goes, no. So then you're holding all the value <laughs> right there. Read the card. If you're a financial advisor for 35 years and you don't know what Bretton Woods is, and you're literally advising people on how to manage their future, this is their entire life. You obviously haven't even, and it could be the school's problem. Well, obviously it's an educational problem, but it's the lack of try. It's the, I'm willing to just take what's handed to me and that's plenty enough. And I have no initiative to go out on my own and learn beyond the book that was set in front of me. Right. And that's this is a really profound point. I mean, I, I, I actually, I, I feel like I went through a dull period in my educational life. And I'm, I'm going to admit to this and explain it right now, which is that um, I, I was a very active, engaged learner. Um, almost everything that I learned was, you know, I, I took it upon myself to, you know, find the book for whatever. We you know, went to the library, sat down, read books at the library. But um, getting to high school actually dulled that somewhat because there was so much more time commitment thrust on, on you at high school. And, and then I went through my own period of relearning, in a sense, um, that uh, you know, how to control my own education. And, uh, and I think because of, like, as I did, uh, I didn't make as good grades. And, that, and, and, and I, ha I had to learn to be okay with that. I would literally just skip doing uh, assignments at school and then be okay with that. But I was able to, to sort of recondition myself. And now I'm, I'm somebody who can, um, you know, pick up books, get on the web, call people on the phone and find out things in a lot of different ways. But what I recognize about that is, is, you know, when people see it, they go, Oh, you know, you're, you're such an engaged sort of self-learner. And I realize how many adults are not. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of fortunate. I'm, I'm blessed that uh, because of uh, a community that, that got built um, called operation uplift during the, the, pandemic um, people uh, read a few articles that I wrote and appreciated them and, and, and came and started, you know, there were people who did their own research and put together a wiki, uh, campfire.wiki. Uh, and, you know, those were engaged people, but, you know, we look around and we have to find ways to get people engaged and to, to, to take it upon themselves. Um, and I like that right there, a financial advisor who doesn't know what Bretton Woods is, that is an example of a dependent learner. That is somebody who, who clearly never learned to engage with their own curiosity, even in the topic that was most important to their career. And I think that um, anything that can be done that gamifies that, I think gamification at the point of economics and finance is just, is just awesome. And, and the same lessons that we learn in Bitcoin will be learned within education. And, and here's what I mean by that. I, I've been trying to apply this idea 
as broadly as possible lately, because there's a conversation amongst researchers during the pandemic is, are, are people, is this person trustworthy? Is this media personality trustworthy? Is this leader trustworthy? In Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners like to say, uh, Bitcoin is money for enemies. And, and you know, what does that mean? I, you know, I, I'm not going to explain it fully because that that's a that's actually a long conversation where you're going to have to get down to the game theory of it all, of it all and uh, the effect of the Byzantine general problem um, that Bitcoin solves. But if you apply that to broader life, no, you should probably think that everybody is uh, is a sham or a scam or a con artist until proven otherwise. And yet that's still OK. That doesn't mean that uh, you're being mean or, or making enemies or something like that. It, it actually recenters the way that you think about trust. And, and it does so in a way that can be productive once you get past this idea of it not sounding nice. And, uh, you know, like to me, that's a that's a very profound reorientation. And um, but but I think that it is a correct one and a necessary one for humanity to achieve its best potential to understand the value of the people around you that you really know that you can trust because you know them, you know them personally, you have so much interaction with them, you read them well, um, you know when they're deceptive you, and, and you know and you know when uh, little deceptions are actually a game that's being played. You know, like the way, you know, you can rib your friends growing up, they can rib you, but it's not the same when you say that really awful thing to somebody you've never met before. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I think that it is a whole general philosophical change and that can grow up through uh, through the children. I think, I think e even we as the adults, like sitting here, it, you know, we're the Bitcoiners. We already love it. We're already thinking about it. Um, I, I think that there's just enormous potential in putting this in the hands of kids. And I think, I think that may be when Bitcoin succeeds is when the kids playing a game like yours grow up. So you, you said it was heroes of Bitcoin. Is that what you're calling it? Satoshi's heroes. Satoshi's heroes. Excuse me. Satoshi's heroes. Is that the first set or is that the overall name of the game? That's the overall name of the game. And then okay. there will be themes off of that. Uh, the comic book series, each new series that we do with it, the kids will go, on a new adventure and there'll be a new theme to that adventure but it, it's going to be satoshi's heroes will be the the primary name of the, the project can i can i offer you a rabbit hole the wizard of oz is a story about economics yeah absolutely okay so so you've uh, you've done your uh, your exploration of those themes that's good i'm glad to hear that. Road. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right yeah um uh the emerald city the color mm -hmm. of money um, and, and even, you know, who you can trust. There are people who, um, who wonder uh, whether or not the witches who are supposed to be good are actually the bad, the bad witches because they're the ones who manipulate Dorothy into taking out their adversaries. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit wicked to think the whole thing through, but, uh, there are, you know, some of the economic themes are simpler than others, easier to, to tell. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that could be, um, that could be uh, cards. Um, yeah, we, we've got a lot of ideas for, for going down many of these rabbit holes. I mean, Matthew, the, the thing is, kids nowadays, they're, they're highly intelligent. They have been dropped in 
so much more life experience at a much younger age. I grew up in the 80s and 90s and I grew up on the farm and didn't, we didn't have a TV in the house. So I learned from life experiences, but what these kids have nowadays with a tablet and a computer and internet access, the moment they're old enough to understand how to do a Google search, it's on. Any of those questions they have that normally they would have to learn from a friend that may not know the answer to ask another friend to maybe get to a parent if they trusted asking the parent, they don't have to do any of that now. They just go directly to the computer and ask. That and all of the garbage that is on TV nowadays is really promoting children to be adults at age five and six. I mean, most of these shows that I'd see my kids watch once in a while, there's no adults. These are parent or children acting as adults. And I'd sit back and, and I watch an episode with them just to see what they're watching. And I'm like, where are the parents? This is really strange to have a bunch of kids from age like maybe seven up to 12 years old living on this uh, apartment or uh, a, a cruise ship. And you'll see an adult here and there, but very seldomly. They're thrown directly mm. into adulthood at a very young age. They're highly intelligent and they're ready to soak up the knowledge. And if we do things and we get creative in how we were coming out with our Bitcoin knowledge, like you said, they would like they're watching Wizard of Oz at eight, nine years old. And most of these kids are far beyond that. And they're like, this is corny. I mean, my kids just did it for homeschool and they watched it and they were like, eh, they weren't really into it. I mean, they're teenagers, but we had kids from age like 10 years old up to 17 and they were not that into it. But I can guarantee you, especially the homeschool kids that my friend, my, my children hang out with. But if we can create even Wizard of Oz, like you were saying, and throw our own spin on it and throw the economics in it and throw all those little uh, innuendos in there and that rabbit hole in there, they're going to love it. They're going to eat it up and want it. And this is not just homeschool kids. This is kids want to learn because they've been thrown into it so heavily so early. And you have propaganda in video games. You have propaganda in every single thing these children do. I don't know if you've ever seen like uh, YouTube um, kids, the commercials that come on in between the episodes that these kids watch is pure propaganda for these children. Really. Mm -hmm. early. So even just things that can get them to recognize propaganda would be amazing uh, that's the one of the biggest ones for me is from a young age but the more i started uh, going down that rabbit hole deeper and deeper the more i could pick up propaganda like that just holy crap did, that commercial was like just feeding our minds pure garbage to screw us up entirely and there are ways to get children to recognize this adults Adults really need to recognize it because then maybe they can come in and pay attention to what their children are watching. So it's really reaching across the board. And like we're saying with the financial advisors, Matthew, it's an ego issue. And a lot of these guys that I talked to after the Bretton Woods thing, it just kind of made them, it sparked their ego really hard. Few of them were very interested, but a few of them were insulted by the fact that there is information in a stupid playing card that they don't understand yet. And they've been a financial advisor for 35 years. Yeah, so they've been trapped in an artificial narcissistic shell. Yes. And what we need to do is teach the general public that there is a happy balance of ego. And you need to have your own ego 
that is a level that gives you the confidence to not trust a financial advisor that may not know as much as you could with a one good Bitcoin documentary. I mean, th there's some great Bitcoin documentaries out there that are about an hour and a half long. If you watch that Bitcoin documentary and you really soak it in and pay attention because they go from money at the beginning until Bitcoin today. And if you really pay attention, there's a good chance that not on all points, but in a lot of points, you're already more educated than the financial advisor that's been a financial advisor for 35 years. So it's building the confidence up in the general public to say, just because this guy has worked on Wall Street, just because he has been in this spot for many years, doesn't mean you can't show up with an equal level of maybe not total education, but intelligence. Because there's a couple key points that if you know these few key points and the financial advisor doesn't, you're already surpassing that financial advisor in your intelligence and economics. If, right. if the financial advisor doesn't know how the Federal Reserve was created and that it's not federal and there's no reserve, but you do, you're already 10 times past that financial. It, it's advisor. like having a weak foundation. Right. Um, so I, I'm going to I'm going to be the. Um, the uh, education historian here. Uh, and this is not something that I, I knew about when I first started. I, I thought growing up, well, I want to be, um, I want to do something in education. I want to help, you know, improve systems, redesign systems. And, uh, and I thought that I knew a lot. And then, and then as I, you know, started writing textbooks and building classes, um, you know, just constantly read about education and, and find all of these rabbit holes that are just mind blowing. And one of them is the Benjamin Bloom problem. I don't know if you've heard of this one before. In uh, 1984, I'll, I'll go ahead and explain it uh, one way or another for anybody watching. In 1984, a researcher named Benjamin Bloom wanted to test the standard classroom model versus spending the same amount of teacher time working with students in groups of one to three. So very personalized, if not one-on-one. -on -one. And when, when students did work one-on-one uh, -on -one or one-on-three with the teacher, um, along with like, you know, basic reinforcement or like, you know, testing like mastery, um, you know, uh, testing just to, to show that they've mastered the basic skills, uh, the median student began scoring like a student in the 98th percentile. The median student looked like a borderline genius. It was a two standard deviation shift of the normal distribution. And I, I constantly tell people like intelligence is, is not what we think. It, it is the way we measure it, it. It is way more malleable so far as we measure it. Uh, I think probably different personality types wind up developing different forms of intelligence. When you see somebody who's a great athlete, uh, you know, LeBron James of the world. I don't know if you, if you've seen, uh, I, I don't know if you're a sports fan at all. If you, um, do, do you watch basketball or, or any of the sports? Very little. I watch very little TV at all. I, my entire life, I've been, uh, yeah, not not a big fan of TV. Fair enough. Uh, that, that's <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, um, <laughs> Le LeBron James uh, and and I, I barely watch TV at all. But I saw a clip um, that had been shared on the internet where after a basketball game, he was asked, uh, you know, asked about something about the game. And he, he begins to name off 
the six times he turned the ball over, he lost the ball to the other team. And he remembered every single one of them and exactly what happened and whether or not it was like a mistake that he made, he lost his dribble, or whether he was looking for a person who um, wasn't the place that he expected. And so he was a little bit delayed and the ball got stolen. But he, he, he knew well enough in his mind to recap all those things. And that is a form of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, the athletes have, have their forms of intelligence. Uh, people who study a particular subject, we could say they have a form of intelligence. And a lot of that is our personality interest, right? Our drives toward what we're good at. People who are good actors, people who are, you know, these are all forms of intelligence, intelligence, but you know, once you learn the Benjamin Bloom problem and you realize that with guidance, almost everyone winds up very high on the ways that we measure that intelligence, it tells you how much we are missing in the educational process. And it it, it won't shock me at all if the, the Bitcoin revolution involves pieces like this that wind up changing education and that, that open up a further change in education and then boom, you know, we're looking for all the right things. And as you said, you know, children are, are you know, so highly intelligent and once once they're active and they they get going um it wouldn't shock me if future generations just look so different that all these worries that we have over you know ha- has scientific progress halted as technological progress will, will we not see gains in the economy i suspect i suspect that we're just blind that we're blind and that there is this mountain that we you know maybe we're traveling through a tunnel on the other side we're going to see how to climb the mountain again and so like you know, I'm, I'm just wonderfully excited about something like this because I do think it is one of those steps. I, th- I think uh, a game like this will will open up, uh, you know, uh, it'll be the right form of a game. It'll be the right amount of uh, attention and time that children can take to, to spark their interest. Um, well, awesome. Well, do you have any thoughts? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we uh, wrap things up here or, or have we talked about uh, your, your educational pro- uh, projects here or... Do you have anything else to to open up for us? Yeah, I can give you a little bit more on it. So when it comes to the the comic book and Satoshi's Heroes, uh, we have big plans for this particular part of the project. We have the trading cards, collectability, and just being able to reach the general public in a really fun way. Uh, We do plan to do uh, sporting events, concerts. This is a way to get Bitcoin out to the general public in ways that hasn't been able to be done yet. You're not going to get an exchange, a Bitcoin exchange or many Bitcoin projects right now to be able to put a booth together at a general public situation where you're going to get people coming over that are not Bitcoiners interested in in what you're doing and asking questions. Like you said, we've talked about this one. You're a shill. You're trying to pump my bags. It's a scam. Uh, Many reasons for them not to come over and pay you attention. But with uh, my creativity and pushing the envelope, when I set a booth up at one of these events, the booth is going to look just ridiculous and they're going to come over to the booth not because of bitcoin because we'll barely have any bitcoin elements at all they're going to come over to the booth because this guy i got standing behind me is going to be um, standing in front of the booth uh, taking pictures and chatting with everybody and they're going to go who the hell is this big monstrous character and we're going to get it's satoshi nakamoto and then they have to ask who is satoshi nakamoto and with the artwork and everything else we're throwing into it again it's the subliminal orange pill talk to about bitcoin don't push the the whole bitcoin subjects and everything just let them find something in what you're doing 
that sparks their interest. Let them buy a stuffed animal of one of the characters. Let them buy a little figurine, a pack of trading cards, and don't really even get into Bitcoin. It's just this is a really fun, new, collectible, awesome trading card project that's out. And we plan to go really big. Start with that. And then when it comes to the Satoshi's Heroes, uh, we have plans to the comic book, get the characters, get the storyline going, and then take those characters the same way they do with, with Pokemon and bring them into the game. Now they want to collect the characters that they have come to know in the comic book. And then from the game, they start playing and get more interested. We're working on creating an entire curriculum that goes with the comic book and the game. And this curriculum is going to be mainly geared towards homeschools. We want to get this out to as many homeschool communities and groups as we possibly can. We want to make it as nonprofit and free to these uh, groups as possible because it's going to be something new and maybe they're not interested right away. So if there's a way to get them a free trial and really just get them excited about when it. When you say curriculum, do you mean all subjects? All subjects. So one of the things I didn't say, Matthew, is in these cards, we have uh, eight categories. So it's only 20% Bitcoin. The rest that's in these cards that you're going to find is currency. There's a whole currency category that's going to break down everything from Bretton Woods, the gold standard, monetary history, uh, all kinds of topics like that, that is an entire category. So when you find the cards, you're going to find a currency card. And then it'll have a currency topic on it. And then on the back of it, it's going to break down that particular topic. Then my favorite category is freedom. So um, in the freedom category, you're going to find all kinds of elements on freedom. Decentralization. Uh, the Basic breaking down freedom in every way. What is the unalienable rights that we all deserve to have? Uh, what are concepts of freedom that have worked very well? anything and everything that promotes people understanding the importance of freedom. Then we have the complete opposite of that, which is the tyranny category. And that's where you're going to find um, what is centralization, what is communism, what is socialism, what is a dictatorship, things that most people are getting manipulated to think are something entirely opposite of what they are. And I've had so many people that come to me and say, well, we just haven't done socialism right. And they're putting it in all over the media. Socialism <laughs> is a good thing. We just haven't done it right yet. And most people don't understand because the media is not telling them how wrong it went in the past. And do we even want to attempt to try something again that went so unbelievably wrong? So having the tyranny category to teach all that, and I can go through the other categories, but the gist of it is with each of these categories, we can go through an entire day's worth of school just off of these cards and building out the curriculum off of the categories in these cards. And there's uh, Coach Carbon. I don't know if you heard of him, but he's a, a football soccer player in the UK. And he has managed to take all different types of games that he created and football, soccer, depending on where you're at, um, and teach math and teach Bitcoin fundamentals with these amazing games that you can go out on the field and play. So being able to integrate some of the amazing, amazing methods and games that Coach uh, Carbon has created and working with other Bitcoiners, especially because we just have little bits and elements. And then we're going to gather the Bitcoin community that specialize in what they do. 
So instead of us trying to specialize in each one of these topics, no, 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 that's not intelligent. The intelligent thing to do is create a platform to where we can gather the people that do specialize in these topics and let them come in and really bring their focus and their incredible genius into each one of these topics to make this game and this curriculum as powerful and amazing as possible. And the world is open and ready for it. I, I, majority of people I talk to, they want this. There's just nothing available to them right now. So we just need to come together as Bitcoiners with the passion we have and find a way to uh, tame our passion that freaks a lot of the general public out and just give it to them in bite-sized pieces that they can come to us and ask the questions. I guess the biggest thing, Matthew, is let's spark some critical thinking and we will all be amazed at the changes that are going to happen across the board, across the entire world some critical thinking that has been missing and tampered down for so many years. And all humans have the ability. They've just been scared and pushed down to use that critical thinking skills. But the greatest part is there's nothing more empowering to any of us than starting to use those critical thinking skills and then figuring out that, holy crap, I just figured things out that the majority of people don't know. And then like Bitcoiners, all we want to do at that point is wake more people up to it. So it, it'll be a domino effect. And we are the starting dominoes right now. That is Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has so much more it can do than just changing the monetary system and becoming the, the gold standard for us, the Bitcoin standard. It has the ability to wake this world up. So this is, this is fantastic hearing that I didn't know about this whole... Uh, curriculum. We didn't get to this part of the conversation uh, uh, last time we talked. I don't think. Um, just to let you know, and, and I don't know if there's um, if there's a collaboration opportunity here, but I'm trying to make it as open to that as easily as possible. But um, you know, I told you I, I built some education companies in my past, yeah. and uh, uh, one of them I've just been rebooting recently. And just in the past week or so, I thought, you know what? I I, I don't like I, I'm against intellectual property rights. You know, uh, like I, I have published books, published textbooks, you know, th there's a certain degree to which you sort of go along with some things defensively. Right. Um, but but ultimately that, that that was never my goal. And I wanted my curriculum to be out there. So um, I was just rebooting uh, my education website. It's uh, metaprep.net. And I was going to begin putting up, um, you know, both the PDF documents and the um, LaTeX is the typesetting language that we used for mathematics a lot um, that makes the, you know, all the, all the symbols and everything look very nice. Um, but, but basically, you know, as we put it up there, it's something that you're free to use. Um, we're going to make it open source. So if it is integratable or if we have lessons that you haven't written yet or built yet, um, you're welcome to them. I love it. Uh, in addition to that, um, if you, if you want a place for them, we would be happy to, incorporate yours onto our website because that's what we want to do we, uh, like basically um the business model is simply going to be a simple locals.com community and like the community like you know you have access to people at the community so you can discuss things you know parents can discuss different ideas or 
or um, you know how many of you use a co-op for which classes and how many days you know I, I'm sure you know these questions well given given that you're in the homeschool community so just want to throw that out there um, happy to be sharing that and I did tell you I'd send you some of that material last time uh, we talked but um, I, I think it's more likely that we just get it on online in the next few days actually the first batch at least so um, I'll send you an email when that's done um, you know feel free to uh, like if, if there's some level of collaboration that you're interested in. Um, but like I said, uh, you, you wouldn't even have to ask because we're going to make it open source. I love it. That's how we're going to change the world, Matthew, is the collaboration that Bitcoiners have and the ability for us to come together. I've been in many industries over the years, and the, the hardest thing is getting people to just work together Um Jeff Booth with Ego Death, I mean, the best name in the whole world. That's the more you become a Bitcoiner, the more you're able to to really embrace that ego death. And that is where we come together as Bitcoiners like no other industry, like no other community that's ever been done before. And we are able to make the changes that have been deemed impossible in, in any other time in history but this community the way bitcoiners work together we've got some major potential like i i feel more hopeful for my children and their future than i ever have since really being able to embrace the bitcoin community and the community we have behind these trading cards it's just incredible it's only been a couple months and it's just absolutely empowering in every way and inspiring to meet just incredibly beautiful people day after day after day and feel the passion and the camaraderie and collaboration that everyone wants to do together for one goal to make this world a better place. I mean, I really look forward to pushing out this conversation. I've been involved in this, you know, pandemic research community just in general for the past several years. And one of the things that um, I'm, and, and I have to, I have to recalibrate myself sometimes, but one of the things that I want to push back against is just the general fear. And, and there, there is, there's so much uncertainty and doubt that it's an easy thing to folk the st uh, stoke the FUD at this point. Um, and there are a lot of changes coming in the world and there are a lot of challenges coming in the world and we do have to be active in solving those. But like you, I feel I feel optimistic. I, I, I tell some of the people in this community, I, I feel oddly optimistic because th there may be pain before getting to the next uh, peak. Um, and yet uh, there are things to to be excited about. And we need to uh, we need to view it as an adventure. You know, right now uh, we need to to you know maintain the positive attitude and spirit. Um, we can work hard. Uh, you know, we can uh, enjoy it, too. Right. And so. Um, yeah, there could be a brighter future on the other side. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for joining us. But thank you for that energy and spirit that you bring to the table. I, I think that's just awesome. And I'm just, I'm so thrilled to find somebody like you in the Bitcoin community. And there's so many positive Bitcoiners, so many smart people, so many people who are, you know, focused on doing great things. But uh, uh, to meet an educator, you know, <laughs> because that's my passion as well. Um, so thanks for, for joining us and, and sharing your thoughts with us. Any, any closing thoughts or remarks? I think we, we went through it really well. Um, I guess one last one. My job with these cards and, and what I'm doing is not 
So I'm hoping these cards can bring people into Bitcoin. And then again, talking about the community, it's the Jeff Booth, the the Sailor, the Matthew Crawford. It's the, the, the community that's going to keep them in. And that's where all of us working together. If there's anything I can say to anybody that is trying to work in Bitcoin, trying to, because most people, once you get in, you just want to work in Bitcoin, find a way. How, how do I uh, make my life Bitcoin? It's, it's so <laughs> inspiring in every way. Um, find ways to make Bitcoin fun. Don't worry about having to be the final stage of the Bitcoin education. When you're teaching someone about Bitcoin, when you're bringing up Bitcoin to friends and family, you're not trying to give them everything all at once. That's only going to run them away. All you're trying to do is give them a spark. There are so many amazing educators out there. You never know what that spark is going to be. It, it can be the just the amazing artists in Bitcoin it have nothing to do with Bitcoin, but they love art. And then they see the the inspiring artwork that is coming from these Bitcoiners that's like nothing else seen before. And that's what brings them in. It can have nothing to do with monetary gains or values at all. And it's the freedom aspect. So my biggest thing is helping people help people get into Bitcoin and just take your time with people and try and figure out what sparks their interest. Like any kid that you're trying to educate, give them a little piece and remember that there's such a massive team in Bitcoin that it's not your job to give them everything. It's your job just to inspire them enough to take it upon themselves to start to go down that rabbit hole. You don't even have to go down it with them. And more than you trying to answer questions, be really careful to answer any questions they don't ask you. Allow them to ask the questions. Allow them to have the power when they come to you. And that has been my big, biggest success is not me trying to explain to them my thoughts and feelings about Bitcoin, but allowing them to come to me with their feelings and their questions and simply answering exactly what they're asking and then letting them come back with another and another. And this is how we are going to reach our friends and family. I love it. Um, so for everybody out there, uh, you know, here, here's a closing thought. Um, if you're still if you're not sure about bitcoin um maybe you're worried that it's going to be like central digital currencies maybe you don't know the difference um maybe you're just worried because you don't know how it works um i would encourage you to seek out that spark uh, or or to, to you know find your curiosity now go to a local meetup they're everywhere these days um i you know i i used to get excited when there was a meetup um but the, you know at this point uh it's it's which one am i going to go to right um so you know, it, are you curious, you know, reach out, find out, learn a little bit. There are people who will, who will happily walk you through one question that you have, and there are going to be a hundred questions, but, um, but, you know, find a place, go ask a question, find a place online, uh, do a little bit of basic reading, think it through. Um, thanks so much for, uh, I, I, I have the feeling you're going to spark some curiosity amongst some of our viewers. So thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll wrap things up with some uh, with some nice uh, string music here. And I'll see you next week. Or actually, we'll see you tomorrow with Liam.